I was going to introduce our speaker for today, but I thought it would be more fitting uh, if our resident bass player, Andy Doss, would come and introduce our speaker for today. And I think it'll be obvious as he introduces him why he's introducing him. So uh, I, I remember growing up and uh, Sunday mornings was always exciting for me because I always remembered it as nap time. I'd get up in the morning and uh, go to church and my dad would start preaching and I'm like, all right, time to take a nap. So uh, hopefully this morning uh, you won't feel as inclined uh, as I once did, but uh, I hope you'll enjoy uh, my dad speaking this morning. So Mark Doss is going to come and uh, give us uh, the word this morning. But will you join me in prayer before, uh, as he comes up this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you would open our hearts up this morning uh, and that your Holy Spirit would just move throughout us and move throughout this body of Waukee Community Church. And I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to us uh, and, and teach us ways um, through the Proverbs and through this next five weeks uh, of how to be wise and how to gain your wisdom. Lord, I just pray that that would be our prayer for the next five weeks. And I just pray, Lord, that we would find ways uh, throughout the weeks to um, use this knowledge uh, and, uh, and just bring glory to you, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. Well, I'm glad Andy asked you to uh, try to stay awake. If you do go to sleep, I understand that's totally fine, uh, not an issue. If you snore extra loud, well, then maybe that's, that's an issue we'll, we'll deal with. Um, when, when Dave told me about the summer series, Avoiding Stupid, I thought, well, duh, you want to see stupid, here, here you go. And, and I was thinking that week of all kinds of uh, stupid things that I've done. Uh, but I must have a good defense mechanism because since then I can't remember anything stupid I've done. Uh, so, so I can't give you any examples except just as I stood up, someday I'm going to have to give uh, a church two or three hundred, four hundred dollars because I always get this wire stuck in the wire in the metal chairs. Do you ever have that problem? So. <laughs> Here you go. So you want to see stupid? Here it is. The other thing that I think is funny is uh, when Andy was little and I was preaching regularly, uh, my wife Carol would not let me use that word when I was speaking in public. So, uh, so it's going to be fun today. I get stupid, 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 stupid. <laughs> this is going to be great. Um, so since I couldn't think of any real specific examples of stupid or since I didn't really want to, I did uh, look up on, on the web, because you know you can find anything and everything on the web, I looked up stupid jokes, and I brought two to share with you today. So the first one is, uh, a little frog hops into a bank and hops over to the teller at the front desk. He says to her, hi, I would like a loan. The lady tells him to go to the end of the hallway and to the door that says Patricia Wack. The frog obeys, hops into her office, plops onto her desk, and says to her, I want a loan. Patricia asks him what he would like to protect this loan with. He offers her a ceramic lion. Patricia leaves the room for a minute and walks over to her boss's office. This frog just hopped into my office and asked for a loan. He wants to protect it with this, she says as she hands him the lion. He inspects it and says, It's a knick-knack, Paddywhack. Give the frog a loan. Ooh. Okay, number two is even better, I think. So I know, I know we're getting the audience warmed up here. All right, a man and his wife were having an argument. I know I'm going to run into this too, so I've got to move this over. I don't actually want to demonstrate stupid to you. So 
A man and his wife were having an argument about who should brew the coffee each morning. The wife said, you should do it because you get up first, and then we don't have to wait as long to get our cup of coffee. Now, this is the joke. Women, don't get mad at me. The husband said, you are in charge of the cooking around here, and you should do it because that is your job, and I can just wait for, the, for my coffee. The wife replies, no, you should do it, and besides, it is in the Bible that the man should do the coffee. Husband replies, I can't believe that. Show me. So she fetched the Bible and opened the New Testament and showed him at the top of several pages that indeed it says Hebrews. <laughs> you are so cooperative. Thank you. Thank you. I, I love that. <laughs> so as we take a look at the Proverbs that are given to us in the Old Testament, uh, Pastor Dave gave some background material to all of us who are, are doing uh, uh, talks on, on the book of Proverbs. And so the Proverbs are statements about a right knowledge of God. In other words, it's wisdom. Uh, as uh, mentioned in his prayer, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's a right knowledge of God. Secondly, it's right living with people. And so it's the idea of discipline, doing that which is good and that which is beneficial. So we have right knowledge of God, right living with people. Another way to say this is the Proverbs are statements about a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. A proverb is a statement of truth how things normally work. A proverb is not a commandment or a promise. In other words, it's not the proverb says this, so therefore it always has to happen 100% of the time, or that God will do this in particular for me. But it is a statement of truth how things normally work. And so Kenneth Burke says, A proverb is a shorthand for situations in life that recur often enough that people feel the need to have a name for them. So it's a shorthand for the things that recur often enough that we notice there is a consistency, there is a pattern to that. So today I want to take us to the end of the book of wisdom and talk about privilege and influence. Uh, I had the, uh, I had the, the good opportunity of meeting with Message Community a week ago and uh, that really, I really enjoy it. I think that's a great opportunity that uh, Pastor Dave offers uh, for, for uh, some of you. Not, not everyone can, can uh, take advantage of that, but I thought that was a great chance to kind of work through the text a little bit. And somebody said, we always come to Proverbs 31 and talk about a Proverbs woman. Well, in some sense, we're going to talk about a Proverbs man today. Uh, we're going to talk about this king and, and how uh, his mother gave him some wisdom, tried to give him some words of, of uh, wisdom and guidance for his life. And uh, so I want to use two words, privilege and influence. And uh, I'm, I'm almost finished with a book by Andy Crouch called uh, Playing God, and I've really enjoyed it. He's, he's an author that I find uh, his thinking very interesting and, and uh, helps... Uh, bring out some insight of Scripture. So he uses a phrase that I think is, is significant in relationship to this Proverbs 31. And here's the phrase, the priorities of Jesus are to spend his privilege, not to conserve it. And I want us to think today about spending our privilege. So two words that we want to give a, uh, 
a, a definition for. First of all, privilege is the advantage that wealthy and powerful people have over other people in a society. And uh, so it is having an advantage. It's having opportunity to show some authority or uh, kind of a negative word, some control or be able to boss others around or be able to guide others. So it has that idea. And uh, I want you to think of privilege in the most positive sense as we work through the text and, uh, and the thoughts that are uh, hopefully going to come out of the text today. But it is an advantage. And uh, I'm going to suggest to you throughout our time together that often we have advantages, either that we misuse, but many times we just aren't aware of those advantages. Then influence. Influence is the power to change or affect someone or something. It's the power to cause changes without directly forcing them to happen. Or a second part of that definition, it's a person or a thing that affects someone or something in an important way. And I believe all of us have opportunities to be influential in our lives. So with that said, let me give you this as, uh, as the thought for us to focus on. First of all, just a little bit more. I want to make sure that we really lay the foundation. We may not see ourselves as wealthy or powerful, but we are often in a position of power where we can change someone or affect something in an important way. We must be guided, uh, as your church uh, uh, mission statement says, we must be guided to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and give like Jesus to affect our world in an important way. And so taking Andy Crouch's phrase, Jesus, his priorities were to spend his privilege, not to conserve it. I would suggest that we want to spend our privilege for and like Jesus. So we want to take the opportunities and these times when we have a, a vantage point or an advantage and we want to spend it for others. And I think that comes out in the text. So Proverbs 31, 1 through 9, we are introduced to the king. And uh, even, even the pronunciation is, uh, uh, you know, I like Lemuel. That works, although that does sound like an animal, doesn't it? Oh, well, you know, yeah, a little bit, but that works. But uh, we are told that his mother taught him some very important lessons. And uh, this mother was an influencer, I would suggest to you, by her office. And uh, I'll put those in quotes. That is, he was his mother. Ten Commandments say, honor your father and mother. In other words, we are supposed to respect and listen to them. And so his mother had a position of influence in that uh, she was given by God to help teach her son that which is wise. Secondly, she had influence because of her love for him. And a third, she had influence by authority. What are you doing, son of my vows? In other words, it starts out in, in, uh, after saying it's an oracle that his mother taught him. In verse 2, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? And uh, the, the three questions put a focus on what she's going to say. But they give us this idea that because she is his mother, because she loves him, and because she is the, the queen mother, she has the privilege to influence his life. Uh, it is, it is uh, important for us to realize some days we as parents feel uh, very 
disadvantage, don't we? Uh, and oftentimes we forget how important we are in the lives of our children. And the idea that she taught him, I think we can include that she taught him from a, a very young age. And uh, I want to highlight, first of all, to, to give honor to us as parents, uh, to give honor to those who are our moms, but also to start to put in our thinking that in the everyday occurrences of life, as a parent to a child, there are those opportunities for us to influence and to use our position of privilege to, to serve others. And we want to do that. So the queen mother used her position of influence to uh, challenge her son, the king, in how he uses his privilege and power. Now, there are, are three areas. Let me find and make sure I keep my notes in the right direction here. Uh, there are three areas that are covered in, um, in the text before us. I see why. There was two pages that were similar there. I get all confused. So her wisdom to the king is in three areas. Uh, first of all, using self-restraint. Second of all, by sharing. And then third, from our position of privilege, speaking out. Speaking out for those who do not have a voice for those who are in need. And I want us to work through that. That's basically the, uh, this is, is a, a poem. That's basically the, the three verses of the poem is talking about uh, kind of an old-fashioned word, temperance, or, or uh, moderation is more the word that we use. How to live our lives in moderation. And there is a part of me, like, I like to live my life in abundance. You know, I, I do like the, uh, the old uh, commercial, you know, live life with gusto. Uh, I think we should do that. I think God gives us that opportunity. But there are times where we have to moderate ourselves, where we have to learn what are important parameters and learn to live within those parameters. And that's what, uh, what the king's mother is talking about here first talking about two areas that need to have some, some boundaries, some parameters in our lives, and that is in the area of sexuality and in the area of uh, uh, alcohol use. Those are the two examples that he, she uses, and I think those are very concrete. I think they also can represent a lot of other areas. Um, it, it is interesting, um, in, in my lifetime in the church, Everybody loves a church potluck, right? And uh, yeah, absolutely. I got some, I got some good, good responses there. And I don't know about you, but when you had the church potluck, it was like you kind of saw how much you could eat. You know, I mean, oh man, I'm going to load my plate up, you know, and it was this high and you go eat it. And I've noticed over the years, we still do the potlucks, but the plates aren't as high. Uh, in fact, we, we had to learn this uh, in, in uh, the... Several years ago for our district conference, you know, we would have meals for the, for the conference delegates. And usually the, the least expensive way to provide the meals are buffets. And uh, we usually use Hickory Park. If you're a Hickory Park fan, for you uh, Smokey D fans and Jethro's, don't get upset at me. But we're in Ames and we like Hickory Park. And uh, boy, the first time we did it, we, we noticed we ran out of some food. Because, uh, you know, these people come in and they load the plate up. In other words, you know, they figure here's X amount of servings. They send us the amount and like the people took three or four servings, you know, instead of, 
oh, okay. So every time I'd talk to the Hickory Park or another caterer, now we need to know that there's plenty of food. Make sure your measurements are generous, and Hickory Park is. I'll put in a plug for them. Or tell me so I can buy extra because there's that kind of thing. So what I'm saying is now back to, the, now back to where I want to go with the subject. I've noticed that uh, we as the church were a little slow to address the issue of gluttony. And uh, I think now we're finally getting the idea that maybe we need to at least bring it up every once in a while. And, uh, and that's a good thing. It's learning moderation. So here, the king's mom, as his position as king, it was probably very common in the day in which they lived for the king or those in authority, uh, the, 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 the one who was ruler, to have a harem, to have multiple women. And uh, she says simply, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. In other words, that is a lifestyle that ultimately will bring ruin to your life and to those that you rule over. And so we need to learn moderation, temperance. We need to learn self-restraint. Um, I thought about this, and it probably does show my age, um, but I'm going to say it anyway. First of all, I, I won't tell you which program, but I have a, a set number of programs that I like to watch. And, uh, you know, you go through the seasons or get on next Netflix. Uh, and I don't know if you're like us. Once we find a show that we really like, you know, you get on Netflix and you just start watching all of them. And uh, 15 hours later, it's like, oh, maybe I should go do something else, right? So it's so much fun doing that. But I am amazed at, at shows that I like and I watch. I'm, you know, I'm not going to, I'd never watch that. I, I watch them. But it's like, the people have 15 or 20 or 30 sex partners before the thing's done. And it's like, there's never any, any problem. And, and to me, I'm like, you know, maybe I'm a little old-fashioned, but you just cannot get that intimately involved with that many people and then walk away like, oh, nothing ever happened. And, and I am concerned that in our culture, there is this idea that there are no consequences. And, uh, and I think it's great for us to learn how to develop intimacy of relationship, but with moderation and with boundaries, that we understand that God has given us a wonderful gift. I don't know about you, but I like it. Husband and wife, one-to-one. -one. It's so beautiful. Well, the second one is, is alcohol. And uh, uh, again, there, there are other areas that could be talked about in, in moderation, but alcohol is an interesting one. Um, this, is, this is so great because the, the commentaries talk about it, and I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church, if you come to a text like this, therefore, a Christian should never touch alcohol. Uh, that was the temperance movement, if you remember. And it's interesting, you know, uh, anybody remember Prohibition? I don't mean, did you live then? I just, do you remember it? <laughs> I never, when, whenever you're doing history, I have never heard anybody say something positive about Prohibition. Now, maybe it was, I don't know. For Al Capone, it was. He made lots of money. Um, but it, it is interesting that the temperance movement resulted in prohibition and uh, it didn't last very long. Uh, and so, so what, is, uh, what is kind of fun here is 
she talks about as a ruler. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, verse 4, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. Uh, there, there is another place in Proverbs, uh, I think it's chapter 28, just, uh, just a little bit previous, that it, where it talks about not tarrying long over wine, uh, not, not living for the, for the opportunity to be drunk. Uh, I was talking with a friend earlier this week, and uh, we, were, we were reliving the glory days of the 70s. Um, some of you, you'd have no idea what that is. But, I mean, you know, we're talking bell bottoms and, and uh, afros and all that good stuff. Um, um, what are those funny suits, leisure suits? You know, the, all the good stuff of life. And, and I was saying, you know, that the guys that I worked with in, in high school, I had this job, they lived for the weekend. Not just to go out and drink, but to go out and get drunk or stoned. That, I mean, it was not, let's go out and have a beer. Let's go out and get smashed. And I have a feeling it may take some different forms today, uh, in, although alcohol still is a very important part. But the idea that the, the, the mom says is when that becomes what you are consumed by, it will start to eat away at your life where you forget what's important. So it, to me, it's not a question of we can't do something. It's a question when it, in essence, becomes our God. It becomes our consuming issue or opportunity of life where it starts to destroy us. And she says, as a person of influence, it will cause you to forget what's important. And it will cause you to have a, a misguided judgment or sense of justice because you will pervert the rights of all the afflicted. And so I think we have to learn often in life, here is a, here's a real important wisdom issue. I put it under this idea of self-restraint, of moderation. But here's this idea that we have to learn how to use and not abuse. Whether it's a person or a thing, it is of absolute essence that we learn how to do that. Secondly, so that first, we must spend our privilege by using self-restraint. Secondly, we must spend our privilege by sharing with others in need, verses 6 and 7. Now, we said, uh, uh, be careful, it is not for kings to drink wine, verse 4. Now, verse 6, it says, give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. We are to look for those opportunities where we can... Uh, I, I, I've been all week trying to think of the word, and, and one of the words I came up with, where we can, we can mitigate, we can, we can ease the pain and suffering of others. Um, it, again, we oftentimes think, you know, we get caught up in our own world of, of problems and challenges. Oh, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough strength, I don't have enough smarts, you know, all those, and it's true. I never have enough of, of any of those things. But so often we forget that there are those, there are those who are even in a worse situation than, than we are in. Um, it can be as simple as our neighbor 
yelled out to Carol yesterday. She just finished her last chemo treatment and will wait a short period of time and then start radiation treatment. Now, they have, to be honest, they have more money and time and everything than we do, but she's in a disadvantage in that right now her body is not functioning properly and she's going through the treatments. That leaves her weak and I'm sure a little bit discouraged. And there are those opportunities where we can help out those who are suffering, those who have pain, those who are in need. It's just a matter of, uh, of, as Jesus said with the Good Samaritan, noting the person in need and taking the opportunity to help them out, just in little ways perhaps, and taking what we have and, and sharing it with them. So here we're still on the subject of, of alcohol, strong drink. Uh, it probably has the idea of, of a pain reliever. Um, I know that pain relievers and, and that, that uh, category of drugs is, uh, they say it's becoming one of the most abused drugs in our culture, uh, the, the, the very strong pain relievers. But we like to joke at our house, uh, Carol had some surgery a few weeks ago, uh, and when they're done, they'll give you... Uh, oxycodone or some version of it. Oh man, we love that stuff. Not to the point of abuse, I guarantee you, but all oh, that stuff is so helpful when you're in pain. Well, there are those things that we can do for others that we can ease their minds. We can, we can offer some comfort, whether it is sharing a meal with them, whether it's offering somebody for, for them to talk with. Uh, but here the idea is that don't use drink for your own self-absorption, for your own, in essence, uh, uh, abuse, but be willing to share. In other words, the king probably had, uh, like, like some of the wealthy people that, that we admire, probably had a, a, a seller of all kinds of, of libations. And the, the, the challenge is to take those and share with those who are hurting, who need some relief from the pain. The other side of it is, as uh, some suggest, uh, there, there's not total clarity exactly what, uh, what mom is offering here, but I think it's in the idea, uh, where let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Um, I actually think that is one of the arguments why uh, Christians miss the boat, because there are those times where we just need some relief, and, and we need uh, some kind of, uh, of outside help. But the, the second way that this could be used is throw them a party. Now, again, I already talked about, you know, the examples of the people. Their idea of partying is just so that we can get stoned, drunk, you know, lose our minds. And, and that's what I worry about uh, when we're out of control, when we've lost control of ourselves. But I think there is the sense of, of, of a party, a celebration, that oftentimes we get so consumed by the issues of life and what we don't have, we forget to celebrate what we do have. And I would suggest for the, for the church, the body of believers, one of the best gifts we can offer to one another and to a hurting world is to give them times of celebration. Times to remember that even though maybe things are not as good as we would like them to be, uh, it could be worse. And there is a lot of good to celebrate. So uh, I think within the, within the poetry here, there is this idea that we should use the tools or the gifts 
to our benefit, not to our destruction, and that we should use the opportunity when we are sharing with others to help meet their need with the resources that we have or to help them celebrate and to remember not their poverty and their pain, but to remember the joys of life. I think that's good for us to do. Uh, So when I say the church should party on, it's not exactly what the world may say, but I think it's valid that we need to learn to celebrate. Otherwise, why do we worship? Why do we do all of what we do here if we're not celebrating the goodness and the greatness of God? And we need lots of celebration. Well, third, um, we must spend our privilege by speaking from our privilege for justice and mercy. This is very beautiful. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defending the rights of the poor and needy. Now, I I complained about some of the negatives of our culture that I see. I I do want to say a positive, and it's not like it wasn't happening back in in my younger days, but I do see the evangelical church getting much more serious about it, and that is the cause of justice and social justice. Um, I mentioned to the guys when we were meeting the other day that the revised 2008 Statement of Faith of the Evangelical Free Church added what is now Article 8 about the Christian life. And it speaks about basically three issues. Uh, you can, you can, I didn't bring it today to, to bore you with that. Uh, but I do want to reference it. You can look it up uh, on the Evangelical Free Church website or I think uh, Waukee Community Church is every good Evangelical Free Church has access to it. So uh, Article number 8 deals with three issues. Sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ. Spiritual warfare, how we are in a spiritual battle where we have to uh, stand up against the forces of evil and allow the righteousness of Christ to live out and through us. And then social justice about as believers being concerned and doing something about the needs of others and reaching out to the poor or those who have been uh, put in a place of unjust um, um, consequences. And uh, James says this, that pure religion is to visit the orphans. It's to care about others. It's to be concerned. Now, I will tell you, as uh, a white middle-aged baby boomer, I was like, but Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. And I have to wrestle with that. I'm not sure that we can alleviate all of the poverty, all of the injustice in our world, but oftentimes in our context, there are things that we can do to alleviate it. Here's another fun part. I was thinking about this. Uh, These two verses would be a great conversation for Republicans, Democrats, and Independents to come together and talk about. It would be quite fascinating, and I think we need to do that. The idea is that we should take out of our abundance and help those who are in need. We need to make sure that those who are unjustly being punished are allowed to experience justice. 
I, I hope I don't get in trouble. Um, I, I've referenced this in some other messages over the last few weeks. Carol and I watched the movie 12 Years a Slave, and I mentioned it's R-rated, so not everybody will find it a movie necessarily that you'll enjoy as much as we did, and or you may not choose to watch that particular movie because it does have some, uh, some, some grotesqueness to it that, uh, that you know, it may be on, especially for your, for your younger children. But it is interesting. Um, you get into the discussion of, of uh, American slavery and the discussion of why does the Bible never say it's wrong and why did we as Americans decide that it was wrong? It's a fascinating discussion. I read a book, uh, just for what it's worth to you, a couple years ago by uh, Mark Knoll, uh, The American Civil War as a Theological Crisis. And he said the crisis was the Bible-believing Christians were using the Bible to support slavery, and the abolitionists had no theological foundation or, or, or discussion about it. Might I suggest that verses like this, the wisdom of God being written down for us, speaks to the issue? It is not so much the institution of slavery, although I disagree with that totally. It is the idea that when we can stop people from destroying other people's lives, we must do that. And I think there are opportunities to do that. Think about the workplace. When you see someone who's been slighted, misunderstood, passed over for a bonus or for a promotion, think about our opportunity to speak up and to say, hey, this is not good. This is not right. Now, I will warn you, be ready. You might also end up suffering for that. But I believe as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to speak up for others. So that's the challenge that's here for us from the king's mom. Ideas that we need to make sure that we spend our privilege when we're in a place of influence or when we have a, 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 the authority or the opportunity to change things for the better then we need to practice self-restraint, we need to share with those in need, and we need to speak up for justice and mercy. Now, I want to tie this together. Here's the, here's the turn in the road that I think is very fascinating. If, uh, if you have your, uh, your Bible app or your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 20 and uh, look with me at verses 20 to 28. And I think... Uh, we want to be done as close to 11 as possible, right? Is that fair? Sure, okay. So I think I have time to read this real quick and do this for you. The other thing, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, serve and, and to not speak up at this point. I don't want you to do that, but to share. Because I told you I've just been enjoying Andy Crouch's ideas, I quoted a, uh, a section from it, and I don't have time nor does it always work well to read it all. So I brought these for you. If you want to take this so that you can reference it later, it's, it's just something I thought you would enjoy. And uh, I invite you to do that. But here's, here's another mom. Now this mom is not quite so smart, although don't totally, you know, chastise her for what she does. 
But here is the mother of, of uh, James and John. Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 20, it says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been, been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority in a negative sense over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. First of all, like I said, don't, don't get too upset at uh, James and John's mother because several have noted that she and her sons were people of faith. They, were, they totally bought in that Jesus was going to establish his kingdom. They wanted to be part of it. But they were one of those people that, that the king's mom was worried about they were more consumed, more concerned with their status and their privilege than with the important issues of life. And that's where they missed the boat. And Jesus said, you're asking something that's not mine to determine. But let me tell you, you are misguided slightly here. Don't be so worried about your position, your privilege, but learn how to serve one another. And he says to be the slave of all. That's what the king's mom was asking her son to do as a ruler, as one in authority. That's what Jesus asks us to do as people who are following Christ. Now, let me remind you again, our opportunity for influence and where we have the advantage in a good way shows up in all kinds of relationships, parent-child, husband-wife, employer or manager and employee, political leader, citizen, rich and poor. Those are just a few examples that came to my mind. And referring back to Proverbs 31, one author says that the writer of Scripture transforms traditional warnings to rulers against the abuse of sex and liquor into an exhortation to practice justice. Excuse me, I, I, I didn't quite say that, but anyway, to practice justice. This is applicable to all who are tempted to turn authority into privilege. And simply what I'm saying is followers of Christ, we're all tempted to do that. We need to do what Jesus says. We need to say, no, I'm a servant. I don't use my authority for my own benefit. I don't use my influence, my privilege, just to satisfy me. I use it as an opportunity to help others. So Andy Crouch says, ultimately the best reason to be wary of status and privilege is how little that mattered to Jesus. In other words, he was not concerned about status and privilege. 
He says, it will not be so among you. The priorities of Jesus are to spend his privilege, not to conserve it. So we ask the question, why do we struggle with status and privilege? Perhaps we want it so bad, which is often the case. I love being in charge. I love having more than you do. I mean, let's face it, it's, 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 a, it's an upper. It feels good. Or oftentimes, we have been damaged by it. We have been on the receiving end of those who have destroyed us with their abuse of power or money or privilege. And I would say to us at this point, it's not an issue of whether we're a have or a have not. Martin Luther said, the flesh ever seeks to be glorified before it is crucified. Every person needs to come to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Here's the one, the one piece of this. Again, we're talking about Proverbs. They're generally true. And it is good counsel. What I've shared for, with you out of Proverbs 31, I think is, is excellent counsel. But it doesn't necessarily mean that life is always going to work exactly that way. And that's the point. Even when we have the best of intentions, even when we operate out of our best ideals and our best motives, we live in a broken world that still needs a Savior. And that brings us to the good news of Jesus. Beyond even serving, we need to come to the one who gave his life so that we might live. And so two simple invitations for us this morning. One is if you're in the the, the, the process of considering Jesus. Consider what it is to not only have your thoughts and your behaviors changed, but your heart changed by the one who gave his life for us. And secondly, let's do what we believe is absolutely essential. Live, love, and give like Jesus. One final quote I want to give to you. From Bishop Ryle, happy is the man who is truly humble, strives to do good in his day, walks in the steps of Jesus, and rests all his hopes on the ransom paid for him by Christ's blood. Such a man is a true Christian. And so I ask us, let's spend our privilege for and like Jesus.